Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. A want to. What's the difference between a have to and a want to? Like if you have to do something, what is the emotional uh, response to that? If you have to do something, if somebody tells you you have to do something, how do you feel emotionally about that? Yeah, it's not like, yeah, it's not like it's really a joyous thing. I mean, you could actually derive joy from it. You could. There's some obligatory, obligatory things that would sort of elicit that. But mostly, I think, when it comes to a have to, there's sort of this idea that, okay, whatever I have to do to what? To get you off my back, right? And so usually that means for most people, I'm going to figure out what the minimum is that I need to do, right? I'm not going to be thinking about the maximum. I'm not going to be thinking about going more than what's required if it's a have to, okay? But if it's a want to, see, that changes it. Then it moves from kind of a a fear or a guilt or whatever the negative stuff would be, and it moves it more into a joy motivation, okay? What's an example of like one thing that you did this past week, somebody did this past week, that that was a want to for you? Can anybody come up with something that was a want to? Yes. I went on a shop hop. You went where? On a shop hop. On a shop hop. I have no idea what the heck that is. So what is that? Well, a quilt, and there was a quilting shop hop where you go all to these different quilt shops. Yeah. What do you do? (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. So that makes sense. Okay, so... You wanted to do that, yes. I hear the energy in your voice even now as you're, as you're describing that. And so that was not a guilt thing. No one was twisting your arm saying, you have to do that, no. right? No, see? And that's the difference there. There's, when the joy energy is there, we don't, I mean, have you ever like even lost track of time when you're doing a shop hop? Have you ever, or whatever is the want to thing? I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Okay. And so when we think in terms of the Ten Commandments, see most, most of the time I think we think of the Ten Commandments as have tos because we think of them from the perspective of the way that they're worded, right? How are they worded? You shall, you shall not. Well, it doesn't sound very joyous, all right? But when you take into consideration the context in which the commandments are given, and we looked at that last week, right? The context is that they're given to the people of God by the God that already had done what for them? Had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had already extended his gift of grace to them. In other words, he had already said, I love you and you are my beloved. And now because you're my beloved, guess what? You get to have no other gods before me. You get to use my name respectfully. You get to set aside one day of the week to be your day of rest. You get to be involved in honoring your parents. See, that's a, that's a whole different gig than looking at it from just the perspective of 
you better do it or else. Or you better do it because I said so. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Is there a place in the Christian life for because I said so? In the same way, see, with in our families, with parenting and that sort of thing, as an example, okay? Is there a place for parents who love their kids and their kids love them mostly? Is there a place for because I said so or because I said so? Yeah, is there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Because every once in a while we bow up and we think we know what's best for ourselves and then God has to kind of give us a little attitude adjustment. And he certainly did that. We saw a lot in the uh, Old Testament. So then the second point is, it is a joy to obey the God that loves you. See, God's love and the context of his love is what makes that shift possible. Because if I only see God as a God to be afraid of, or if I only see God as this sort of demanding kind of like, you know, uh, troll well, I might obey him, but there isn't going to be a whole lot of joy in my obedience because I'm always going to kind of be looking over my shoulder wondering if my obedience is enough or if the way that I do my obedience is good enough. And so the, the whole idea of remembering and reminding ourselves, as God's word does, that he is the God that loves us. He is the God that has delivered us. And in that context, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, for delivering me. Okay. See, I think that's one of the reasons why God went to great lengths, particularly in the Old Testament, to whenever he would speak through the prophets to his people, he would always start out, he would always preface whatever he said with the words, I am the Lord your God who what? Brought you out of Egypt. See, why would, why would he keep saying that? Well, uh, you know, maybe they would forget. And they would forget in the sense that they would forget that what motivates God to do anything that he does is his love. Even the times when he gets angry, what still motivates him is his love. Okay. So as we move now into uh, today's uh, focus, uh, first commandment, a little bit of opening discussion here. Life is all about priorities. That is about what's important. Without priorities, it's nearly impossible to make decisions about how to manage your resources, time, money, etc. Okay? So when it comes to making such decisions, what goes into your thought processes? What goes into the decisions that you make with respect to how you're going to uh, spend the resources that, that you have, your money, your time, your energy, etc.? How, you how do you make that decision? Whatever's easiest, first of all, maybe. Whatever's easiest could be what straight, you know, the, what is it? The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Okay. could be wherever the least resistance is. Could be. What else? Yeah. What's Bob. the priorities? What's the end game? So how do you figure out what the priority is that will determine that? Do you have like a... What am I looking at in the future? Where do I want to be? Where do I want my grandchildren to be? And then what do I need to do in the present to get them? Okay, so you're really looking at the future as being the thing that informs the present. Okay, very good. What else? 
um, what does God plan? What is God's plan? Well, who, who's saying that? Someone's saying about God? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Anna, what'd you say? What God would want. Okay, so part of what goes into your thinking is what, what God has to say about that. Okay, and I'm guessing probably like in the Bible. Is that what, where you would look, look for you, that? What you've learned at church. Okay. You about it. Yeah. You, uh... Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, we had one more. Uh, yeah. What have you already committed to? Oh, so maybe you've already committed yourself to something. And then it, what if something else better comes along because you already said yes to this, but then, oh my gosh, the better thing is over here. How does that work for you? It depends on if you're talking about your job or your husband. Well... <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew that it would be trouble to have these two people sitting right here. I knew that would be trouble. So I'm, I'm really not going to ask which is which. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. How many of you find that the uh, uh, part of what determines your decision making in those things is uh, the squeaky wheel or the squeakiest wheel? Yeah. So whoever is the loudest whiner or whoever... Whoever's, um, well, they say this, the, the uh, tyranny of the urgent, you know, when somebody comes to you and, and maybe they overbook themselves or maybe they uh, missed a deadline or something like that. And they're frantic and they're panicking and they come to you and they want you to do what? They want you to rescue them out of that situation. All right. And depending on who it is, right, depending on the relationship that you have with that person or just the fact that you're tired of listening to the to the crying about it. Right. That that might also be part of what goes into your decision about whether or not you're going to you're going to uh, spend some time or money or energy or whatever it might be. Yes, Debbie. I think sometimes, too, you have to take the emotion out of if you're discussing with your partner, you have to take the emotion out of who wants to be right. Who wants to be right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we won't go into that today at all. Yeah. Yeah, but again, uh, uh, obviously, let's see, what is it that uh, it's, there's a certain kind of spending, I think, that sometimes people do. What do they call it? Emotion spending, something like that. Oh, impulse spending. That's right. Where if the seller can get me to have some uh, emotionality in whatever it is they're presenting, like at a quilt store or something like that, <laughs> then, you know, then probably I'm going to be more likely to, to uh, not necessarily impulsively spend, but certainly would have some leaning in that direction. Okay? So that, that could be. Do what? I was impulsive. <laughs> we're, he we're here for you. And, and we'll, uh, yeah, boy, that's when you, that's, that's when you keep the receipts, don't you? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways, see, that we maybe more than we would like to think or admit that our humanness dictates how we, those decisions that we make. And if we can, and be like a little bit more like Bob, to think in terms of what I'm doing today will have an impact on, you know, time ahead, the future. And so then, therefore, do I really want to, to make that investment in that today, given what might, that might 
mean for the future. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So let's get into the, uh, into the uh, commandment itself. Exodus 20, verse 3, very easy here, says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, Luther, Martin Luther had a really wonderful definition of the word God. And this is one I think that really pertains to and fits well with, uh, with the world we live in today. His definition says, a God is that to which you look, and the word look here means devote yourself to, that which, to which you look for the highest good in your life. Now, the highest good then is the critical factor here, right? What is the highest good, and how do you determine what that is? Well, it may depend on the life circumstance in which you find yourself. If you are on a sinking ship... The highest good may not be your bank account, right? The highest good may be, is there enough uh, life jackets for me and is there room on the lifeboat, right? All right, so it may depend on uh, where you stand in life and what you're dealing with. Well, a commonly used tool for determining highest good is called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Any of you see this before, ever? This is used in a lot of, I mean, it's been around for a long time, uh, but it actually uh, kind of has, has endured the test of time in terms of the uses that people uh, have for this. And so, for example, I see this a lot in, uh, in, in the psychology world that I kind of hang out in. Uh, educators use this. Business people use this. I, I'm, I'm guessing probably on some level government probably uses it well. And it certainly has its shortcomings. So this is not the, the answer to all things. But it is an interesting sort of way of thinking about basic needs that people have and that sometimes if those needs are not being met or if they're being met in a, in a less than uh, adequate way, okay, then that can go a long ways into, in, in terms of uh, determining what somebody's so-called highest good might be. All right, so just to kind of take, take a few minutes to, to kind of look at that, the way that the, uh, the pyramid works is that it starts at the bottom and works its way up, all right? So if we think in terms of the bottom part, which is the foundational kinds of needs, would be physiological needs. So your health and having enough food and uh, having enough sleep, having kind of a, a place, a roof over your head so, sort of idea. Then above that would be uh, uh, safety needs, having to do with uh, a shelter, certainly, but also not being threatened in some way. Uh, the middle part is belonging, which would be love and affection and being part of something bigger than you, part of a group, if you will. Um, esteem, uh, self-esteem or esteem from others. It's kind of interesting um, how the language has changed now from the time when this was first put together. So how many of you are familiar with the term self-esteem? Okay. And so what does that mean? How you think about yourself, how you treat yourself. Okay, the new term, and if you want to cross it out, you can. The new term for self-esteem now is called self-compassion. Oh, yeah, the, the excited looks on your faces right now. Like, okay, whatever, you know, okay. But actually, I like that phrase better. And I've started to kind of think of it that way. It's, it's not a selfish 
idea. It's a self-care idea. And maybe if you would like the word self-care better, then go ahead. Cross out self-compassion and put in self-care. Okay, that's fine. But it's the idea of taking good care of yourself and being taken care of and having that balance. Okay, all right. So that's kind of how, that's, that's the new stuff. And then the last one, oh, we all love this, self-actualization, all right? Which another way of saying that is, is that you're able to achieve the potential that is built in you by God or is some ability that you have to do something, okay? Now, the way this works is, and this is what Maslow figured out, is that if you're, if you're in pain due to something with your health, and that is chronic and makes itself uh, known to you persistently and rudely, and maybe you uh, have a slab leak at your house, then the love and affection that you might be looking for or able to give to others will be hampered. It will be tested, to say. So that's the idea, is that if I'm having difficulty at this level and this level, then what is my, for example, what is my capacity for learning? If I'm in, a kid in school, if I don't get a breakfast or let's say that, you know, uh, the last thing I heard when I went out the door was people yelling at each other. I mean, all those kinds of things. What that says is, is that these needs down here will trump these up here. Okay. Now it's kind of interesting. How many of you were in early service? How many of you remember the epistle reading? This is sad. This is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been in church yet, and I remember the epistle reading. All right, it was from James. Remember, what, what did James say? He said, what good is it? You know, the whole faith works thing. And they said, what good is it if you see somebody who is what? Who is cold and hungry, right? And you go up to him and you say, oh, peace, brother. Love Jesus. Be warmed be fed. And then you walk away and you don't do what? Don't give them food and don't get them warmth. He says, what good is that? Right? Now, it's kind of an interesting application of that. We planned the epistle for today, knowing that we would be talking about this very thing this morning. So you just never know how these things are going to show up. Okay. All right. Now, the other aspect then about needs is, is that any one of those has the potential of becoming your highest good. Any one of them has the potential of becoming your God. And to some degree, that's dependent on whether or not that need is being met in an adequate way. It certainly could mean that. But could I, do I have capacity as a human being to devote myself to the pursuit of any one of those things? And then that becomes the whole purpose of my life. Yeah. And we'll, we see that a lot with people who maybe don't have that foundation of faith in God in their lives. And they think in terms of, I have to accumulate as much of this as I can because there isn't anything else. And I would sort of suggest to you that that's where the first commandment's coming from. Is that the first commandment, what it does is it forms the foundation of your life. 
Why is it so important that we not have other gods in our lives? Why is it so important that God is the God in our lives? Because he's the one that created us. And if we are not connected to our creator, or if we disconnect ourselves from our creator, okay, at least in our own minds, what do you have? What do you have? Well, what you have is the pursuit of something outside of you that you think will give you that foundation, that you think will give you that sense of security, that will give you that sense of meaning and purpose in life. And again, the problem with it is, is this is fleeting, right? Yeah, you can get it for a little while. In fact, have you ever noticed that you could have all this going for you, but then if you get tendonitis in your foot, all of this pales in comparison? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. A little personal testimony here. <laughs> if you see me limping, at it, okay, so here was the conversation that um, Victoria and I were having um, earlier this week, because I've been limping around, and I went to the doctor, and he said, you have tendonitis, and I said, great, uh, what's the cure? And he said, well, no more power walking. And I said, oh, rats. <laughs> Shoot. I, but I can still ride my bike. Okay, so I can ride my bike. And then he said, it's going to take longer to heal now that you're older. <laughs> I know. That was like, why, why did he have to say that? Okay. And so then what I did, so I texted uh, Pastor Coleman, and I told him that uh, because since I'm the oldest pastor here, as he and I remind ourselves, um, that I'm doing the trailblazing for what it's like to be an aging pastor here at Messiah. <laughs> okay? And so, uh, and so he said that he would pray for a miracle. <laughs> and little did I know that the sermon this week is on miracles, so I'm going to be really listening in the late service for, you know, mention of this. But he said that he didn't think that miracles would extend over to aging issues. So, <laughs> so we'll have to see. I don't know how that's going to work. But one of the things I've noticed is, is, that, is that limitations here really do affect the mood and the confidence and even the desire to do things up here. It takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of work to be nice when you don't feel nice. Have you noticed that? Yeah, when you're like, oh, it just kind of hurts and I'm kind of grumpy and I can't do all the stuff I want to do as fast as I could before. You know, it, it, this is that there. And then what happens is, is that you get affected by stuff up here and it just doesn't feel like it's as important. And so, again, I think that's what, kind of what Maslow figured out is that, that we have to be attentive to those things instead of always thinking that, you know, like, what's the matter with you? You're not doing your potential. Well, yeah, I know, because it's affecting me here. Yeah, somebody had, yeah, keep. And then the disrupting factor is Triton. The disrupting factor is not Triton. Triton is not a disruptor. What I'm saying is the comfort dog program will disrupt that. It will make, even though you're feeling bad, that's true. That part the is. The whole purpose of that is to help that people. To That's a very good point. I hadn't really thought about that because when he came to the office on Friday, see, so he kind of comes on Friday and uh, I just felt better when he came on Friday. 
I think I experienced healing right there in my foot when he came on party. Will, a, a higher parts of the pyramid will change. Yeah, and so that says a lot about to the degree that we can be responsive to each other at this level. And, and thinking to ourselves, if, if what we're looking for in somebody else isn't happening up here, See, sometimes I think we get a little frustrated and go, what's the matter with you? How come you're not doing what you're supposed to do? And it doesn't occur to us to look down here and wonder if there's something missing at that lower place. Okay. And so it's, again, it's just a way to, it gives you a different way to think about it uh, to, and to view it. But again, a shortcoming of this is there's not a whole lot of spiritual here, right? And it doesn't really deal with the issue of eternity. Okay. So that, but that's not what Maslow's deal was all about anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Keith kind of brought up, one of the things that they taught us when we went up to Chicago for the training with Triton is that they say, said Triton's goal is he is the bridge. So he can be somewhat of a bridge between these levels. If you're struggling with one, he can come help somewhat because they said the ministry don't focus on the dog. It's not about the dog. It's about being a bridge that like Jesus is the bridge through Triton. To help people talk about things, deal with things, mm-hmm. and just express and try to open up on different levels and different things that they're yeah. struggling with. Yeah, and what I'm finding is that, though, if he wasn't so darn cute <laughs> and his ears weren't so darn soft, it'd be a lot easier to focus on Jesus than it would on Triton. <laughs> but that's part of what we need to remember, too, right? Is that it still is. How, this is a way to open up someone's heart, their stuck place. That's what it is. And that's what a dog like that does. So when I was seeing him on Friday, I told him my whole pro- all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> and he understood totally. It was wonderful. Yeah. What? And he didn't tell anybody else when he went home with the masses, he didn't tell you? <laughs> That's the beauty of it, yeah. I was going to say, you know, as a teacher, the first thing when we see kids struggling in school, you always want to find out of the couch surfing. Because believe it or not, you'd be amazed at how many parents throw their kids out. And then they couch surf for a while. They're oh, at somebody else's house, that's what that means, couch surfing? You wouldn't, there are kids that you wouldn't even realize until you start seeing a change in them in class yeah. and that. Yeah. But this, actually our school set up a um, pantry. It's a oh. quiet place. That, it's a place that kids can go. They go to a certain assistant principal's office, but we make sure all the kids know about it. Yeah. There's food in there. There's school supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, in the wintertime, we try to keep like some, you know, socks yeah. and things because mm-hmm. there's a lot of kids that sure. they're too. Sometimes things happen in their family, and they're too proud to right. tell you. But we keep. We actually have a microwave in there so they can go in and even get something hot for lunch if they wow, need to. Wow, that's great. But we really try to, and I teach them more. It's a better supposed to be in a more fluid school, but. Things are changing. They are changing, aren't they? Our school's changing. Well, and your school, I think you told me, is doing the kindness. Uh, This is Louisville. Is this Louisville? Yeah. Yeah. There's a group responsible to be at the doors all the time welcoming the kids. And so, again, see, then that's kind of that belonging part there, you know, that you're, and so. Our new principles really um, change the whole attitude Mm -hmm. about, like, the pep rallies. Yeah. Uh, we lost our school spirit, yeah. and we're really trying to do sure. things to get it back. Sure, I mean, yeah. We, I mean, we just try to make sure when you see a kid that's just acting different. That yeah. Graham only had him a few weeks, but you can already tell. Yeah. I, I have a student, when he talked about the sleep, I know 
he's carrying a really heavy load and he's not sleeping. Yeah, him that's right. Higher up. That's correct. So again, it's the idea is that instead of just focusing on the performance drop, is we're actually asking questions about what might be contributing to that. You love my solution. I'm called the dumb dumb lady. I keep dumb dumbs in my classroom. Suckers at all. You're called the dumb dumb lady. Because yes. the kids know if they're having a rough time, they can come in and get a couple suckers from me. I'd like to be known as the Tootsie Pop pastor. <laughs> Because I love Tootsie Pops, but, you know, that's great. I love that. That's awesome. Because sometimes when we're teaching something that's stressful, yeah. um, and I, usually the kids will be like, they'll just, and, and yeah. I go through a lot lately. Uh, this year the kids are really busy. That's great. That's great. Okay, any other thoughts before we, uh, before we move on? Okay, so as we move now into thinking about this from the perspective of, of God, so, so the, the possibility is, is that any need that a person has, in terms of whether or not that need is being met or what meeting that need will do for them, then that, that holds the potential of becoming our God, okay? And, and so one of the things that we discover is that all through history with uh, different societies and cultures, um, going all the way back to Adam and Eve and then just moving forward, is that the human solution for the multiplicity of problems or needs has simply been the multiplicity of God. That's the human solution from a human perspective. So if I have a need for my uh, crops to grow, well, then it makes a lot of sense from a human point of view to just say, well, let's create a God that's in charge of crops growing. All right. Let's create a God that's in charge of bringing rain. Let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, uh, find a God or create a God or, or create the image of a God that would be in charge of that. And then that way we can go to that God and find our security in that God. So if you if you uh, looked at, at page two at the top. Just some, some examples of this that we would know just from uh, the Bible stories that many of us are, are familiar with. The Egyptian gods of uh, Isis and Osiris, uh, the Nile River itself was seen as a, a, a divinity, all right? And so if uh, I want that God to do for me what it's supposed to do, then I have to do what? I have to sacrifice something to that God or give something of myself to that God, maybe perhaps to appease it. Maybe it will be less angry, right? Or maybe I can uh, curry its favor. And then if I have the favor of that God, then, then that God perhaps will do what I want for it to do. The Canaanite gods that... Uh, chief of which was the Baal God. That was the one that uh, the children of Israel were constantly uh, uh, dealing with as they went from Egypt to, uh, uh, to the promised land. And even then when they got to the promised land, the, 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 the great uh, admonition that God gave to his people is don't uh, uh, let that culture dictate how your worship life is going to be. Um, and that was a constant problem. So among the, the features that were common in the multiplicity of gods was uh, mandated rituals, temple prostitution, that was a norm for them, um, sacrifice of human life, 
The priests were, were the people ultimately who uh, had the greatest power because they were the ones who pr- were purported to have secret knowledge. And so if they had secret knowledge that, that nobody else had, well, then if you really want the gods to do what you want, you have to go buy off the priest and do whatever it is that he says you have to do in order to uh, 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 gain access to that secret knowledge. And so the purpose of those of that multiplicity of gods was to appease the gods. And then by that you could achieve personal security. So it goes right back to this, right? Is that uh, if I can get the gods to do for me what I want them to do, then, uh, then my life will be set in the new Testament. The uh, among the problems that uh, St. Paul and the apostles had to deal with was what was called Gnosticism. Anybody familiar with that term Gnosticism? Okay. So the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. All right. And so that's where that word comes out of. And so that was this whole idea that the, uh, the word of God would have secret codes within us. Does that sound familiar to anything that uh, we've had, you know, maybe not recently, but there's some of that in terms of uh, these internet sort of searches you can do on codes in the Bible and the numerologies and kind of reading between the lines, so to speak, levels of secret knowledge. And again, what's the purpose? If I have the secret knowledge and I have it and you don't, what does that do for me? See, that gives me personal security. The power that I have then is that probably I can achieve to this, right? And maybe you can't, and that gives me one up on you. Now, in our day, the sophisticated day that we have today in our day, yes, our uh, culture worships also a spectrum of gods, or at least a definition of gods. And you may have seen some of these. So I got these little... uh, Uh, symbols off of Google. And I thought, you know, that's amazing. When you look at the one, for example, for atheism, why would that be the symbol for atheism? I thought of Star Trek when I saw it. You you thought of what? Star Trek. Star Trek? Is that on there? Is that like one on there like that? Wow, man. Okay. Everybody burn all your Star Trek movies, right? All right. So what is uh, what does atheism atheism teach? They're atheistic. Right. So there is no right. There is no God. And so the group that we often hear the most about uh, these days is the freedom from religion group, which ironically comes out of Wisconsin, of all places. You know where in Wisconsin? Madison. Now, that would not be surprising because that's a university town. And so very often you'll find in university settings, higher education, you'll find a greater openness to uh, atheism. But that's not limited to that, of course. It's its own little state. Pardon? It's you used to live in Madison? It's its own little state within the state. It's a state within a state. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I have some friends that are Lutheran pastors there in Madison, and they have a very unique, because they're like the Lutheran within the state, within the state, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. What do you think is the, the appeal of atheism? You can do what you want. Okay. So you can, you get to decide. You're the one that gets to decide. And if you want to follow something or, or not, then that's, that would be, that's your choice, right? Yes. No consequences. Okay, now there, 
there might be consequences, but you're, but you're not, you're not binding yourself to those, right? Okay. Yeah. So the appeal for a lot of people in terms of atheism is that, um, it's very, it's very rational, uh, not rational, but there's a rationalistic side to it. All right. Is that if logic can determine the existence of God or not, then on the basis of logic, then that's where I'm going to put my, uh, that's where I'm going to put my eggs in that basket. Okay. Uh, any of you ever known an atheist? I have two. I, I had an uncle a long time ago who was a scientist and not to say that if you're a scientist, you're an atheist, but he was a physicist and, and he was one that, that, uh, really, really struggled with this. Now to his credit, he allowed my dad to baptize every one of his kids. So that was always kind of interesting. Yeah. And it was kind of a little bit of a paradox there of, of, uh, and it might be the influence of my aunt, his wife, who was a preacher's kid. And maybe she just would never let him hear the end of it. And then that would be the motivation. Maybe that, maybe it was a have to, right? Maybe it was, but the blessing and the benefit of that now, after all these years is that, uh, my cousins who are their children who were extremely, uh, brilliant people. So they all went into medicine and they went into science is that every one of them is Lutheran and they worship and they, they do. Isn't that amazing? So sometimes, you know, uh, we, we sort of, uh, can, we sell short in our minds, kind of the power of those things. But I think, uh, for him, that for my uncle, that was a very, that was a very difficult thing. Okay. Uh, agnosticism. Now notice the symbol for it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, there's a question mark there, but there's still the break in the circle. The circle is eternity is, is God. So there's an A in there, but the, uh, but the question mark. And so the deal with agnosticism is the acknowledgement that God exists, but I don't necessarily think that that word God is used. <clears throat> I think that for a lot of people that, that uh, claim that of being agnostic, I think they use the word higher power as a way of describing that. And that's a very popular way. What would be the appeal of, of describing God as higher power as opposed to uh, describing him as God? You ever been in a group that used the higher power? Yeah. As, as a higher power, I would think I could have more influence over him than if he was God. So God sounds supreme and like he's like the big cheese and then there's no way to influence it. Is that what you mean? Okay. All right. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Well, and you don't have, you don't have to agree or disagree with anybody. If you have a higher power, then it's not specific as to whose higher power it is. Yeah. Well, they could say, okay, yeah, I may agree with you. I may not. Mm -hmm. Whoever's higher power that you're talking to that day, you may, may or may not agree with. It really limits how many people you would offend yeah. when you use the word higher power. Okay. So like if you've known anybody ever, or you did, or I know I have gone to 12 step groups. Okay. If you've ever been in a 12 step group, that's that we use that terminology, higher power, and that's intended to be non-offensive. So, you know, a God by your name might be offensive to this one over here. And so in an attempt to not do that, then that's why higher power is used. It's, it's just that it's very difficult to have a personal relationship with a higher power. 
See, that's the difficulty of that. And so, and so from a Christian perspective, um, I never was that comfortable with that term, but I understood that's the context in which this meeting's taking place. So I'm going to honor that and use that. All right. But in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Anna. I'd always heard agnostic defined as they believe there's a God, but the God doesn't have a personal relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's out there. He, he may be here, but he's not, you know, it's right. not, he's not listening to our prayers. And right. All that. That's he right. He just is out there doing what he's going to do. And so be, because there's no personal relationship, then I don't have to be committed to following whatever the precepts of that God is. Okay. So again, it's a little bit of the idea that I can, I get to define how this is going to go. Right. And yet I've kind of have an ace in my back pocket just in case there really is a God, okay, is that I can play that ace whenever I need to, like on Judgment Day, right? Um, uh, but, you know, who, who's going to make that call? Yeah. yeah. I always considered agnostic as people who um, believe God is uh, what they want God to be to fit their lifestyle. Yeah. So they're putting God in their little box mm -hmm. and putting him in, her, in their pocket. Sure. And they're only going to pull God out when there's a crisis. Yes. And that's what's ruining our society. That's why we have such a large spectrum between uh, good and evil and our spectrum of morality is because in our society we're removing God from our lives. And I think it's the selfishness of our society of that we want to do what makes us feel good. Yeah. And we don't like what this Bible's telling us. We're going to interpret it the way we want it to be for us and fits us. Yeah. And that's what's destroying this country. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that, that you can take that all the way back to the garden. You know? Now, Adam and Eve didn't have any trouble with the idea that God is God, except the fact that they wanted to be God too. See, <laughs> so there's a little bit always of keeping God in the place that he belongs, which is as the supreme per, uh, per, per personage, if you will, the supreme being, and that he's in charge, I'm not. Some of it is too that we attempt to redefine God again in the way that we want to for him to be defined. Now, uh, uh, a more, uh, and so agnostic and atheism have been around a long time, uh, but the one that is more recent, and I just call it recent because it's probably been in the last um, 10 years or so, are what's called knowns. Are you familiar with knowns? Okay. So these are folks that believe in no religion. They define God in personal terms, but they reject religion. And so these are folks, it's very popular today for people to say, I'm a very spiritual person, but I reject all religion. Because part of what the deal with, from their perspective of what religion is, is it's just a bunch of rules. You'll hear people say this, well, I'm not a part of any organized religion. And usually the, the, the key phrase there is that word organized. Organized religion, what's an example of an organized religion? Lutheran church. Baptist church, Methodist church, Catholic church. I think a lot of the sexual stuff happening to the, in the Catholic churches push people to say, I don't want any part of it. It certainly can do that. If it, and it's not usually just the existence of those things that happen, but it's also then the apparent cover-up that, that where it's enabled in some way. 
Okay. So it remains to be seen. One of the interesting things about those things, when there is abuse in a denomination or in a, in a church body, is that, that everyone who is not of that church body assumes that everybody in that church body will leave that church body and they will come over to our church body. And then, and then now, because here's where the truth is. And the reality is, is that's not what happens. There might be a small smattering of people that would like, oh, I give up Catholic because I want to be Lutheran. But generally what happens is people drop out altogether. If they, they say, if this is what being a part of a religion is about, I want nothing to do with it. Okay. And so you can kind of, I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right. If there's some abuse that goes on in a, in a, a church or a church body, I mean, I can totally see where that would happen that way. Okay. So we can't always just assume that, uh, uh that would be the result in this case. I think that, um, I think that, that, that there's, a lot, there's a lot yet to be discovered. And I noticed I heard on the news the other day that, that the uh, Pennsylvania stuff is, of course, what hit the news. But now uh, the DA in New Jersey, I guess, or Attorney General in, in New Jersey has, has put together a task force. And now they're looking at New Jersey uh, diocese as well. So maybe things will get worse before they get better for the Catholic Church. But perhaps... Um, out of that will come a cathartic sort of uh, renewal of what uh, faith is really all about. Okay? Yeah. I've heard that there may be a new reformation. A new reformation? That could well be. Yeah, that could well be. Is that sometimes it takes the catalyst of a spark like this to do something. And, and, and so, okay, so let's sort of, sort of touch on this. It's not in here, okay, but it, we can touch on it is what ought to be from up for us as Lutherans who our roots are in Catholic, how ought to be, how ought we to respond to all this? Give some thought to that because it's, I, I, I ask it that way because partly because um, I get questions. I'm getting, people are asking me questions about this. Well, what do you think about this? And they know I'm a Lutheran, so that's maybe part of it. But I'm wondering if you all get questions about it, too. Well, what support you, our what Catholic you? brothers. Uh, be honest, be accountable, see what's in our own organization, if there's any abuse. Yeah. We've you know, we got to be mindful of our, own, of our own store as well, don't we? Because the potential is always there, see? And so transparency and, and honesty and humility is that needs to be part of our response too. I'm frankly sad about all this that's occurred and a little angry at the higher ups for not um, pursuing or taking uh, action. So I'm kind of glad that's happening. But at the same time, I know that when there is this kind of groundswell of looking for, uh, we're going to look under every rock, right? Is that sometimes innocent people get caught in the crossfire. And that's one of the sad aspects of this as well. Yeah, Debbie. I have two questions. Okay. One is, do you think that those people that leave the Catholic Church will go to another religion? 
Um, the people that leave the Catholic Church, will they go to another religion? Or will they just... I think it depends on how devout they were in the first place. You know, devout Catholics stay devout. Now, you know, they might do some missionary work in a Lutheran church or something like that. They might do that because devout Lutherans do the same thing. You know, de- uh, people of our ilk, and I say it that way, meaning that uh, for a lot of us as Lutheran, it's in our DNA. I can go back four generations, right? And they're all pastors. Now you understand why I'm the way I am. Okay. Um, it's just in my DNA, you know, it would be hard for me to leave the Lutheran church, even if I hated everything about it, right? It just would be hard for me to do that. Yeah. That's kind of my point, too, is that if you truly believe and have those beliefs, mm-hmm. yeah. then I agree it's a horrible thing that's happened. Yes. And that needs to be. It's a horrible thing. Happened. Yes. And it's horrible for the, from the top, and it's horrible for the people that it happened to. That's correct, the victims. If you truly believe in that faith. Yeah. I don't understand how people can leave it. Right. And that would be said from a devout perspective. So I'm thinking probably for you, if you were to say that and you were devout, you would say that from that perspective. Yeah, of course, because that's what we say. When, 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 when I, what I mean when I say devout, what I mean is, is that it's like a part of who you are. And because it's a part of who you are, the idea of going somewhere else and then uh, sort of um, joining in something that's like way different. It just, you could do it, and maybe people will, Right. What I'm kind of hoping is that somehow people find Jesus in all this and that Jesus doesn't get rejected simply because of the terrible thing that the church did or or priests or clergy or whoever it was did in the name of Jesus. See, if, if, if what you do, you do in the name of Jesus and then what you do is abusive. Well, what happens then to Jesus and the desire that someone has or would have to be affiliated with Jesus? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, Kathy. Okay. So with this abuse, I think in my mind, well, there's still human beings. Yes. But is this just, I can't believe that this is just in the Catholic Church. Right. That, that we, but we don't hear about it yeah. in other churches or you hear just little bits and pieces right. somebody is arrested for right. something or other. Yeah. Like, I believe it has to be all over. Well, the thing that we don't want to do is assume that it's all over because it's there. Okay, there's some aspects of Catholicism that are a bit different than other churches. The high level of secrecy or the high level of uh, hierarchy, the hierarchy, there's a little bit of kind of how we protect our own, so to speak. And we all have to watch out for that. Right. We are Lutherans, Methodists, we all have to watch out for that. Okay, but that's what I mean is to not assume that. Well, if it's happening here, well, then it's got to be happening everywhere. So we're going to take each situation on its own. And maybe after five years, if we discover that uh, this was going on everywhere, well, then we can say it went on everywhere. Okay. But, to, but I don't know that we can jump yet to that uh, conclusion. One more on, and then we got to move on. This is kind of heavy, but um, your sexual drive is very, very strong. And the way the Catholics are set up with celibacy causes a huge 
I've been reading up a lot about Have you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just the whole way it's set up mm -hmm. leads to all sorts of sexual sin. Unbelievable. It, it can do that. It can do that. Whatever. They're like between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And if they let it all out, it would just like destroy the church. It could well be there. churches that allow their pastors to get married. Yeah. Or, you know, that is not as big of an issue. So, yeah, I'm sure there are um, problems in other churches, but I think the fact that, and this is my opinion, but it's other people's opinion, sure. that celibacy thing yeah. is causing a big... Yeah, it again, the, it's kind of, the di though there's a difference between pedophile tendencies and adultery. Okay, so, you know, we just, so this is, we've kind of got off on a different little vein here. I, who's in charge here? How did that happen? But uh, anyway, well, so, okay, so we didn't quite finish everything. So here's my question. Do you want to pick up where we left off? Do you want to do that like kind of our normal thing? Okay, so it'll now take 30 weeks to work through <laughs> 10 commandments. All right, well, that's fine with me. I don't care either. All right, so uh, let's, uh, let's close with prayer, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be on our way. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, particularly the way it comes to us through uh, the foundational stuff, the Ten Commandments. But we're also reminded in your word that you love us, and that's also foundational for us. It's so easy to forget that, Lord. It's so easy to get so wrapped up in our own needs and wants and, and, and how we think life ought to be. And we think that way, and we're not thinking about the gift that you've already given us. So, Lord, forgive us for that. We thank you for that. And uh, be with us this week. Strengthen us in our walk with you. Challenge us to, uh, to, uh, to live out that first commandment each and every day. And uh, look forward to uh, continuing our conversation next week. Watch over us uh, and be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.